Thank you for coming to the podcast. Episode 30 of Top Turtle MMA is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Sisu Mouthguards, the most breathable, lightweight, and durable mouthguard on the market. Gumby, I'm going to give you a little news break here. Sisu is running a back-to-school sale. You don't even have to be a student to take advantage of it. 15% off for the next week until August 10th. What do you think of that? I think you're going to want to jump on that because back to school usually means back to sports as well, and that means you're going to need to get your kids or yourself a CSU mouth guard. So head on over to SISUGuard.com and get yourself the mouth guard that works right for you. Episode 30 of Top Turtle MMA is brought to you by CSU Mouth Guards. I can't believe we've made it 30 episodes. We are rolling. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast. Thank you so much for getting us in your eardrums, however it is you do that. I am David Tremonti. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland. They call him Gumby because he's so flexible in jiu-jitsu. He, of course, is the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com, our mothership. Head on over to the website. Click on the podcast tab. It's where we live. We have a library of episodes, 30 episodes deep now. We've interviewed the likes of Matt Brown, Mark Hunt, the original owner of the UFC, Art Davey. And we have a fun show for you guys this week. We'll be talking to three fighters who are fighting this Saturday at Fight Night uh, in Utah, headlined by Alex Caceres versus Yair Rodriguez. If you want to catch the show on Twitter, we're at Top Turtle MMA. And Gumby, don't we have a Facebook page now? We now do have a Facebook page. So in addition to getting us on TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all that good stuff, you can now make sure you get your updates via uh, Facebook by liking our Facebook page. We'll make sure all of those episodes get up there uh, and other general content at the uh, from the mothership. Uh, how do you get to the Facebook page? You, you can just search Top Turtle MMA Podcast at the top. It'll come right up. Uh, Dave over here is a little bit of a Facebook noob, as the kids would say. <laughs> All right, let's talk about UFC 201, shall we? Yeah, let's break that shit down. Tyron Woodley knocked out Robbie Lawler in the first round, and every analyst said, well, I said that could happen, but <laughs> let's face it, no one actually predicted it would happen, well, but well, it happened. Let, let's make sure we get in on this because I'm pretty sure I said it could happen as well. Um, yeah, no, I mean, he's got power in his hands. I said that in order for it to happen, he would have had to come out, uh, you know, like a bat out of hell, Amanda Nunes style, uh, and catch him early. I just didn't think it was going to happen. You know, I didn't think uh, Robbie Waller would drop his hands like that because I, I think he got a little bit of scared of the takedown. Right, and how crazy is it that we've now had – Five champions in a row lose in the first round. Let's go back here. You had uh, Eddie Alvarez uh, dethroned RDA first round at fight night before UFC 200. You had uh, Stipe dethroned Fabricio Verdum at UFC 198. You had Michael Bisping uh, first round knockout over Luke Rockhold at UFC 199. And you, you missed Misha Tate in there too. And Amanda Nunes. Beat Misha Tate in the first round at UFC 200, and now here we have Tyron Woodley dethroning Robbie Lawler. Shocking stuff. Just, just crazy. And and again, it's I said this. I feel like every single fucking week now, every single week, it is me thinking that the the champ in the division is not the best. Yeah. You know, like, do you think Tyrone Woodley is the best welterweight in the world? No. No, I don't either. I think Wonderboy is. And or I, I still think Robbie Lawler's better than him. You I, know, like, if you put a gun to my head and said who's going to win that fight nine times out of ten, I'm saying Robbie Lawler. Um, and you really, I mean, think about it. If someone last year told you that uh, Michael Bisping would be middleweight champion, Tyron Woodley welterweight champion, Eddie Alvarez 155 champion, I, Eddie I could see. I guess Eddie I mean, Eddie is the least of shocking of the three. Tyrone would have been a tad of a stretch, but you know he's got the physical tools. I'd have laughed you out of the park if you said Bisping. Yeah, absolutely. And then even with Noons too. I mean, we all knew she was tough, but you know, Katzengano beat her. Um, even her in, in fight... that division was, I, I mean, just an absolute, you know, a stalemate at the top. It was if you talked about that a year ago, it was Rousey and nobody else. And even then it was, it was like Rousey two steps down was Tate and then 45 steps down was everybody else until 
Home came around. And now we've had four champions in under a year. Yeah, crazy. Um, so, you know, the thing with Tyron is uh, after the fight, he did the right business move. He didn't talk about taking the Wonder Boy fight, which actually I thought was very genius. Because while we all would agree that Wonder Boy should be the next challenger, he's earned the right. Seven wins in a row. Looked like a world beater. Beat Johnny Hendricks, a former champion. Beat Rory McDonald, a perennial title uh, challenger. Uh, but Tyron said, no, I don't want to fight. Uh, Wonder Boy, I want a big money fight against GSP or Nick Diaz. Yeah, good on you. That's fine. But it actually, by denying Wonder Boy the title shot, actually created insta drama for when Wonder Boy gets the title shot. Yeah, I, I think it was a brilliant business move because if he does get the GSP fight, like now everybody's talking about, sure. That I mean, obviously, that sells better than anything in the world. If he does have to fight Wonder Boy, you've got that like nasty feud fuel that he wasn't gonna fight him, and now that's a deal. So no matter what, he did a better job at selling himself than most people would by saying, "Yeah, bring on Wonder Boy, whatever." Um, so he did a better job selling it, but just like, could you think of somebody? And, and this is no offense to Tyron Woodley, could you think of a champion out there who's less deserving of like a mega fight right Michael now? Michael Bisping. I think even Michael Bisping is more worthy of a mega fight. He's actually getting his mega fight. That's true. He's getting his Dan Henderson mega fight, right? You know, like, you know, nothing against him, but, like, he hasn't fought in 16 months. And I would say Bisping is more deserving. He beat Anderson Silva. And you're talking Tyron Woodley hasn't yeah. fought in 16 months since yeah. last week, right? Yeah. So, so why should he get, you know, the cream of the, the ultimate fight that's left out there? GSP is the fight out there right now. I'm with you. I mean, but hey, you know what? He is right now for by hook or by crook, and uh, it really actually was by hook. Uh, <laughs> he is the king of you know the welterweight division where one George St. Pierre, the goat, used yeah. to reside. So he's just he's you know the the song ended, musical chairs is over, and Tyron Woodley's in the seat. So yeah. he got lucky. Yeah. If GSP's coming back, which is no guarantee. Yeah, and, and you know what too, I I keep hearing if he's coming back too, he might be 185 pounds, he might be 155 pounds. So I mean like again, good play by Tyron Woodley, very smart from a marketing standpoint, but just like. I'm not sure it's right by any stretch of the imagination. Then again, we were saying it wasn't right when he got the shot. We'll wait to see what happens. I don't think it's going to be Nick Diaz. I think, if anything, it'll no, it's be, not going to be Nick. <laughs> if GSP wants the fight, he'll get it at MSG. And if GSP doesn't want that fight or there's some shenanigans going on or he ends up going to 155 to fight Connor in the mega fight of all mega fights, um, then it'll be Wonder Boy and we'll, and we'll move on from there. What I want to talk about now is uh, an actual, what I would call competitive division, um, or one where I see multiple uh, players at the top that I do think could be deserving champions. In the co-main event at 201, you had Carolina Kowalkowicz defeating Rose Namajunas by split decision victory, which I think was kind of bullshit. Split, I, split was a stretch. Yeah, split was a stretch. It should have been a unanimous decision victory. But I was just so impressed with Rose, even in the losing effort, and I obviously had Carolina winning. But I just can't think, you know, even in, like, let's say the women's 135-pound division, Rose in her loss to Carolina uh, and Claudia in her loss to JJ, I was still very impressed with. You know, Claudia still those first two rounds looked like a killer, won the first two rounds against the dominant champion. I think you have four girls at the top of that strawweight division that I'm just intrigued to see, you know, however they want to match them up. You know, Rose and Claudia could fight now. I want to see who wins that. Yeah, that, that definitely would be a fight to make. Um, I mean, it, it's potentially damaging because you send, you know, one of them on a two-fight skid. Um, but I, I agree with you. There, there's four very legitimate stars in that division now. And you're set up for an all-Poland title fight. Polish Civil War. Yeah, Polish Civil War at 115, um, which, you know, there is a rumored show for either Krakow or Lodz Poland. So um, I, I'm expecting that to headline it if it does happen. Um, but yeah, really exciting division. It, it's awesome that these women's divisions are finally like filling out and we're getting the competitive fights that we want. I, but I also just think because I keep going back and forth. We talked about it last week on the podcast. Is the hot potato of the title belt at 135 a sign of parity? Is it a sign of weakness that, you know, everyone could kind of beat everyone? I just happen to think that the strawweight division right now, at least, is actually uh, more loaded. Yeah. I, I Well, I, I guess you would have to talk about what you mean by loaded, but definitely because all of them are active too i think helps it you know like you haven't seen misha tate since her loss you haven't seen rousey since her loss since july yeah misha tate. well i mean oh, okay so that one's quick but but you know what i mean is that like 
Oh, you haven't seen her win. What, yeah, yet. once these people have gone down, they haven't come back up yet. And, and I mean, you haven't seen Holm win again. So, I mean, the three ones who were champs, you I, haven't seen win since they've lost. I, I guess so, that's that's kind of where I'm taking it, which is really it's about Holm. Because Holm is the queen slayer. She beat Ronda and then loses two in a row. So it kind of, in a way takes away from what she did against Ronda, because now we can't get our minds around saying, oh, well, Holly's the best now. She's not the best now, but she happened to beat the best at the time, whereas I've just been, to kind of bring it back to my original point, so impressed with Claudia in the loss and Rose in the loss, and I just think the top four of that division, I could see any of them being champion, whereas with Holly, if you put a gun to my head, if you tell me she's never going to be a champion again, I'd be like, yeah, I believe you, you, right? I definitely agree with you. And honestly, even with Misha, too, like, I love Misha. I think she's great. Is is Misha going to be champion again? What do you think? I You see, I never once thought she was better than Rousey. Right. You know, I thought her, her stylistic matchup worked better against Holm, but, you know, I thought it was going to come down to Tate Rousey again. And, and I've got Rousey all day in that because Tate's grappling is not conducive to be Rousey. So we've already seen it multiple times. How many, you know, advantageous positions did she have in two fights against Rousey? Any? D- did she have any good positions? I don't think so. I mean, maybe one or two here or there for a couple of seconds. But for the most part, she just defended herself for, you know, what, what was it? it three was rounds. Three round, in yeah. two fights. Yeah. You know, or two and a half rounds or something like that. So, you know, I never thought she was better. Um, the only way I, I can see her becoming champ again is, you know, working her way back to a title fight that doesn't have Rousey at the top. Yeah, agreed. You know, um, I, I think if Rousey comes back, she shuts down that that possibility. Uh, moving on, Jake Ellenberger, surprising victory, uh, TKO via kick to the body and punches over Matt Brown. Uh, you know, Jake Ellenberger made the switch to King's MMA, uh, looked good, but at the same time, I almost thought Brown had a chance there for, to come back. It almost looked like Jake had outpunched after, himself. After the first time he knocked it, cause he knocked him down right when the fight started, like right. a four second knockout or knockdown rather. Uh, yeah. And then, and then Brown recovered by all accounts you know I, I thought he was right back in the fight and then the liver kick happened or at least I'm assuming it was a liver kick um and buckled him yeah I, I thought there was nothing about the way that Brown fought though that made me think that Brown didn't look as good as he usually does it, to me it was a complete turnaround from Ellenberger striking I mean he looked like King's MMA has finally paid off and it didn't last time he came out maybe he was just he wasn't there long enough um but you know hey Props to Jake Allenberger, who, by all accounts, said the UFC were, was ready to fire him. Uh, definitely saved his career. Yeah, absolutely. So where do you go with Jake Allenberger next? I mean, that's a big win on the, on your resume. God, that's so confusing, right? Because he's, what, now two and four in his last six or something like that? Um, God, that's so hard. Maybe Neil Magny? Somebody like Neil Magny? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of up in the division. You know, Do you want to give him a top ten again, though? Yeah, probably. I mean, he just beat Matt Brown at seven. Yeah. You know, you beat Matt Brown at seven. It's silly to go back to 14, right? Like, you could give him Kelvin Gastelum. Where do you go with Brown? God, that's that's a tricky one. I think you you give him a a gimme fight because you want him around. He's an action fighter. You want to keep him around. He's an action fighter. He's a guy you want on the cards no matter what because he sells well. Uh, I, I think you got to give him somebody who's you know relatively unknown just to get him back in the win column. Yeah, you know yeah. I, I wouldn't even go top fifteen. I, I'd say lower than that. Right, I know what you're saying. Um, as far as the rest of UFC 201, any other performances? I have one that I would like to uh, make oh, mention better of. Be Nikita Krylov. That's exactly who. God, I Nikita Krylov's head kick. Uh, by the way, you know very underrated part of that that fight card but it wound up on uh sports center's top 10 plays which mma never winds up and it was all the way down at three which you know it's always like a freaking nba dunk in the summer league is number one because they think a slam dunk is like the most incredible thing on the planet um so for that to like transcend onto that list in a spot where like you know fringe sports never are that high up um, by all accounts, it, nice to see ESPN recognizing MMA as a legitimate sport and putting a guy who's not yet a star on the list. And so Krylov head kicked Ed Herman for the win in the second round. Here is my question to you. Uh, so impressed by the performance. We've long said on this podcast that there are two prospects really at 205. It's Krylov and Misha Serkinov. Would you match those two guys up? I wouldn't. There, I, I think there's so much potential in both of the guys. 
you let them both rise to the top. And, and you know, if, if it comes down to one of those two needing a title shot and you got to run them against each other for a title shot, run them then. But until you need to separate them, don't. Because what you got is two guys now. Very fair. Um, let's move now. This Saturday night, uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, you have Alex Caceres, rather surprising headliner, taking on Yair Rodriguez in an all-of-a-sudden very relevant uh, fight uh, just because Caceres has looked so good uh, since making the switch to the lab. And Yair Rodriguez is, of course, uh, the Mexican Uber prospect at 145 pounds, along with one of our perennial favorites, Korean Superboy. Uh, so you'll have Yair Rodriguez fighting Alex Caceres in the main event of this card. Uh, Rodriguez is on a four-fight win streak in the UFC. Beat Leonardo Morales, beat Charles Rosa, beat Dan Hooker, all by decision. But then it was the flashy offense finally paying off in a KO this past April uh, at UFC 197. Flying head kick to Andre Feely's face. Uh, performance of the night bonus for Yair Rodriguez, and now he sits uh, headlining his first show. Everyone's always been excited by the offensive output. Caceres, on the other hand, kind of a journeyman at this point in his UFC career. Uh, he's two and three in his last five, but he's on a two-fight win streak. Beat Masio Fullen via unanimous decision, and then looked great against Cole Miller in a unanimous decision back in June. Uh, and we attribute that to the improved striking with uh, the lab. Who you got in this fight? Do you know? In in uh, I'm definitely in the minority on this one. I'm going with Alex Caceres. That's kooky talk. Yeah, and I knew you were going to say that because you uh, are probably the biggest Yair Rodriguez fan I know out there. But the reason is 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 Alex Caceres took that fight with Cole Miller on short notice. He looked that good boxing a guy that much taller on short notice. The other thing that is is definitely not being mentioned in this fight is the possibility that this hits the ground. Um, Because John Crouch is by far one of the best strategy guys in MMA right now. Um, And if you don't think he's got him with a bunch of guys at the lab like Ben Henderson wrestling and getting ready to put Yair Rodriguez on his back, I think you're crazy. And I think the prospect of having Yair Rodriguez on his back trying to work jiu-jitsu is really smart because Rodriguez gets complacent there. He's willing to sit on his ass and throw up submissions, and if you can stop him, you can take the round. I was going to say, I, I'm comfortable seeing Yair off his back. Uh, he does have one submission where one submission win uh back in 2012 but, but I would, a triangle choke i would be much more okay with him working off of his back if he wasn't fighting somebody whose jiu-jitsu was good like alex caceres alex caceres is a super underrated jiu-jitsu yeah i mean i'm i'm with you on this i think uh caceres is uh a good underdog bet to make he you could get him at a plus 260 so nearly 3 to 1 right and yair a minus 325 favorite but you know i've said this too as big a fan i am of rodriguez and he's exciting to watch he takes a lot of crazy wild chances yeah in in the thing again not that i'm just going to continue here making my case for alex caceres but that's exactly what i'm going to do yair rodriguez takes a lot of risks and if you watched caceres in his last fight with cole miller he buttoned up the technique for sure he made himself look super sharp and super technical for maybe the first time in his career. And I think that alone makes him a tough out. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Gumby is picking Alex Caceres via upset. Maybe you could get a good uh, bet on that with the odds in your favor. I, however, am picking my dog, Yair Rodriguez, via violence. We'll move on now. <laughs> you have, we will move our attention now to Dennis Bermudez taking on Honey Jason, the Brazilian fighter, uh, had a win that was overturned back in May of 2015 because he tested positive for a banned diuretic. Boo on him, but it was a win originally. Uh, before that, he lost to Robbie Peralta, beat Steven Seiler before that. So you could basically say he's won, won, and won no contest in his last three, making a comeback now after not fighting in uh, about 14 months. Dennis Bermudez, on the other hand, uh, we saw him with a win over Tetsui Kiwajera back in February of 2016. Unanimous decision victory. Lost to Jeremy Stevens before that. 
the flying knee back at UFC 189, and he lost to Ricardo Lamas before that via guillotine choke, so he is one and two in his last three. Once thought of as a very highly touted prospect, trying to get back on the winning track when he stepped up to face better competition, uh, lost to Ricardo Lamas and Jeremy Stevens. What do you make of Dennis Bermudez, and what do you think of this fight? I I still think Dennis Bermudez is a top guy at, at that division in featherweight. Um, you know, obviously losses to Lamas in, in uh, who would you say the other one was? He lost to Lamas. In, and Jeremy Stevens. And Jeremy Stevens. No shame in either of those, right? Stevens has looked like a killer lately. Um, so absolutely no problem with that. He does need to work on his boxing. By all accounts, his boxing is definitely way behind where his wrestling is. But he was able to out-wrestle Kawajiri. Uh, and Kawajiri is a hell of a wrestler. He's got great top game. So for him to out-wrestle Kawajiri, I mean... He is by far the favorite in this fight. I expect him to just ground and pound Honey Jason the whole time. Honey Jason, you could get as a plus 200 dog, Dennis Bermudez, the minus 240 favorite. That, that is crazy to me that, that Honey Jason is supposed to have a better odds than Alex Caceres here. Yeah, and yeah, that's a good point. Uh, we move on to Chris Carmozzi taking on Thalas Lates. Um You could get, I'll just give you the odds right away. You could get Thalas Lates as a minus one seventy five favorite, or Kamozi as a plus one fifty dog. Kamozi, uh, who you know, let's call him a plucky underdog. He's on a three fight win streak since losing to Jacques Array. Took that fight on short notice, mind you. Beat Tom Watson via unanimous decision. Beat Joe Riggs with a TKO, and then uh, dis- unanimous decision win over Vitor Miranda. So he is riding high on that three fight win streak. Uh, Thalas Leites, on the other hand, a veteran at this point in his career. We all know the name. He's on a two-fight losing streak. Lost to Michael Bisping via split decision. Lost to Gegard Mousasi via unanimous decision back in February. Doesn't want to take a third loss in a row here to Chris Camozzi. He's 1-2 and two in his last three, though. Who you got? I, I'm going to go with the underdog again. I think Chris Camozzi uh, on the streak he's on is just uh, is too hot for Tiales Leites. And don't get me wrong, there's no shame in losing to uh, to Bisping and Musasi. But Leites, you know, when he isn't able to physically bully somebody, looks not as good as he does when he's much larger. Because he's a large 185er. Camozzi might be a bigger 185er, though. You know, physically, as far as we're talking about upper body muscle and stuff like that, I don't think Latis is going to be able to bully him. And, uh, you know, the way that Camozzi looked against Vitor Miranda, I I think this has got Camozzi decision written all over it. You heard it here first. Gumby is picking Chris Camozzi. We move now to the welterweight division. Santiago Ponzanibio, fun name to say, is taking on Zach Cummins. Ponzanibio is 2-1 and one in his last three, coming off a TKO uh, victory over Court McGee. Beat Andres Stahl before that via TKO. Lost to Lorenz Larkin via TKO before that. Two and one in his last three. Zach Cummins, on the other hand, the Texas native. He is coming off a win over Nicholas Dalby. Unanimous decision victory back in April. Beat Dominic Steele before that via TKO in July of 2015. Lost uh, a... Favorite of the show, Jits Master Gunner Nelson. Jits Master when he's not going against Damian Maya, that is. <laughs> Two and one in his last three is Zach Cummins. Who you got here? I'm going to go with Ponzanibio. Uh, as far as South American prospects, I don't think there's much better than Ponzanibio right now. Uh, lightning quick hands, really, really sharp on the feet. As long as he can keep it on his feet and not get dragged to the ground by Zach Cummins, this is his all day on the feet. He's so fast. Ponzanibio, the minus 165 favorite, or you could, uh, if you're feeling frisky, go Zach Cummins as a plus 140 dog. Uh, we'll move now to a, uh, a women's strawweight offering, Gumby. You have Marina Moroz. Did I say that right? Marana, yeah. Marana? Marna? Marna? Marana? She's the one who beat uh, JoJo Calderwood. That's You can call her that. She's the JoJo Calderwood killer. She beat her via submission armbar back in April of 2015, then lost to Valerie Letourneau, but came back to beat via unanimous decision Christina Stanchi back in April, so she's 2-1 and one in her last three. Uh, she will be taking on Danielle Dynamite Taylor, who is making her UFC debut. Uh, as a pro, she is 7-1, and one, coming out of King of the Cage. Who you got? Uh, I, I'm definitely going to go with Miraz here. I, I think her jiu-jitsu is just too good. Um, you know, the... 
Taylor's taking the fight on short notice. She's not a good opponent to have to fight on short notice. I mean, JoJo Calderwood had trouble with her jiu-jitsu um, when it hits the ground. So if the, as soon as this hits the ground, I expect Moraz to slap on the submission. All right. And uh, if you want to get the odds on this, you could get Danielle Taylor as a plus 200 dog. Moreau's the minus 240 favorite against the debuting fighter. And uh, and now we'll take it to, and there's really only one answer here and who you think will win. You have uh, Trevor Smith fighting Capo Joe Giuliotti. The G is silent. We know that because we got to interview him. We'll play it here in a minute. We called him Gigliotti throughout the course of the interview because we're assholes. Gigliotti, Gigliotti. I think we said a couple of things that were probably offensive to him and the entire Italian community. And I'm Italian too. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I missed that. But we'll break it down like this: Gigliotti, G Silent, is making his UFC debut as a pro. He is seven and zero. He's coming out of RFA. He's fighting Trevor Smith, who. Um, is uh, coming off a win over Dan Miller via unanimous decision back in July of 2015. Uh, lost to Hellboy, Chow Magales before that. Beat Tor Trong back in July of 2014. So he's 2-1 and one in his last three. Been around the UFC for a few years now, fighting the debuting fighter. Who you got? Uh, obviously, I'm going to take, take the guy we interviewed, uh, Gelati. Uh, he looks so good in RFA. He was actually lined up for a, their 185 pound title shot uh, when his opponent didn't make weight and missed it by so much that they wouldn't even sanction the fight. Um, and he got the contract off of that. He's only 22 years old, but he is very physically imposing. Um, you know, Trevor Smith looks, you know, on and off, good and bad, good and bad. I'm pretty sure he's alternated winning losses in all of the six fights that he's had in the UFC. Um, you know, a complete journeyman from Strike Force at this time. Uh, I don't think he's got the speed or the stamina to hang with Joe Gelati. Well said. And if you want the odds on this, uh, you could get Joe Gelati. The G is the second G is silent. He's the minus one thirty five favorite while making his debut at twenty two years old against Trevor Smith, the plus one fifteen dog. So we're going to cut to our interview with Joe Gelati, and then after that, play you an interview with two more fighters fighting this weekend we got to catch up with chase sherman who fights justin leday we interviewed both of them and we'll play these back to back to back three fighters fighting this saturday all interviews brought to you by new england submission fighting new england submission fighting mine and gumby's home gym in the lovely quaint picturesque town of amherst massachusetts Class is six days a week. No gi jiu-jitsu is the specialty, but it is the oldest MMA gym in the state of Massachusetts. Two legends of the MMA community started it and own it. Uh, you can check out the website, AmherstMMA.com. New England Submission Fighting brings you our interviews with Joe Giliotti, Chase Sherman, and Justin Lede, all three fighting this Saturday. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonti, and we have the pleasure of talking to Joe Gigliotti, who fights Saturday on the main card of the UMN Salt Lake City against Trevor Hot Sauce Smith. Uh, Joe, let's let's get it started right away. So, uh, you know, you got the call from the brass uh, just a, a short while ago, and you're only 22 years old. Um, was it exciting? What, what was the reaction when you first got the news? Where were you, and uh, how did you instantly react? Um, yeah, it was uh, pretty crazy. Actually, I was uh, teaching a boxing class in my gym at uh, in uh, Gilbert, Arizona. I train at Power MMA Fitness, and uh, my coach Aaron Simpson came over while I was uh, teaching, demonstrating some stuff, and um, you know, just kind of told me. Uh, you know, that I got caught up and people just kind of started clapping and it was just kind of crazy and it didn't really hit me until, uh, you know, until I talked with, uh, with him a little bit afterwards and, uh, um, you know, just processed it just, you know, at time. So it was, uh, it was pretty exciting. I'm still, you know, doing all the media stuff and this week and, you know, getting ready to fight. It's, uh, it's all kind of surreal. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Congratulations on getting the call. Now, uh, you're you're an Ohio guy originally. How did you get hooked up with Aaron Simpson, and when did you make the decision to move out to Arizona and train with those guys? It was in uh, 2012. Um, 
I wrestled at Notre Dame College. It's uh, like on the east side of Cleveland, and um, it's a nice, uh, you know, it's a nice school there and a great wrestling team there. I just, you know, I was looking for a little bit of change, and uh, my brother actually lived out in the Phoenix area, and he told me, um, you know, if you move out here, basically you have two options to train. Either you're going to go to over on the west side in Glendale, and that's where the MMA lab is, or you're going to go to, um, you know, the East Valley in Gilbert, and that's where Power MMA. He just kind of recommended that I go to Power, um, just solely based on the fact that, you know, the owners, Aaron and and Ryan and CB, um, they all wrestled. So, um, you know, he thought that it would be a a little bit of an easier transition for me. So I went with that. My uh, aunt actually lives about 20 minutes away from the gym, so, you know, I stayed at her house and uh, would just ride my bike there and stuff and just kind of been going on the ride ever since. Nice, nice. And uh, so so obviously they're starting you off with Trevor Smith. He's a six-fight UFC veteran. He fought for Strike Force a bunch of times. What do you think it says about their confidence in you that they're starting you off with a six-fight UFC veteran? Um... I think it's, uh, I think it's, you know, obviously it's, it's a good vote of confidence, but, um, I don't really view, view it as records or, or, you know, that he has six fights. Um, you know, I, I just look at him as another man standing across the cage, you know, standing in front of, of my goals and, you know, um, I'm just going to go in there and everything that I've been training for and, you know, everything that I've been preparing myself for, you know, leading up to this and, just super excited and, you know, just ready to go to war and put on a good show. So um, I don't really think too much of it. Just uh, just excited to get in there and bang. Heck, yeah. And now you're originally from Cleveland. You had the Cavs winning uh, earlier this year. Stipe won the heavyweight title in May. Do you get a boost now? I mean, Cleveland is like a city of winners all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty crazy. Um I wasn't back home when uh, when the Cavs won, um, but you know people on Snapchat and all my friends they were all downtown. Uh, it was just pretty crazy just seeing all that stuff, and um, you know obviously we hadn't <clears throat> excuse me haven't uh, had a championship in forever, so just to you know finally see that one team do it was crazy. But I was telling everyone at my gym, um, you know, because Stipe fought a couple weeks before the Cavs were in the finals, and I was telling everybody that you know Stipe was going to win in Brazil. The Cavs are going to win in Golden State, and, and they both did. So, you know, no one really believed me, so it was just kind of cool to, you know, for that to happen. Yeah, that that's absolutely awesome. And and obviously, so with Stipe winning, he gets the uh, the title defense at UFC 203 in Cleveland. Uh, should you win, and not that you're looking ahead of Trevor Smith, but should you win, would you be pushing for a spot on that card as well? Oh, absolutely. I bet <laughs> Um, yeah, like you said, not looking past, uh, not looking past my fight this weekend, but, um, you know, I have a solid game plan. Um, you know, I expect to win fully, uh, in devastating fashion. Um, you know, I go out there to fight. I go to, I go to finish fights. That's, um, it's my style. I push forward. Um, you know, I think that I have a relentless pursuit and, uh, you know, that's what I want people to see. But, you know, if, if you know, if that can happen and I have the opportunity to do that, I'll definitely lobby to try and get back in Cleveland. Um, that's, definitely a dream of mine is to fight you know fight in the hometown and just have a bunch of people go there and just you know just being able to do that would be something special so yeah for sure would uh definitely try to lobby for that and as we wrap up here joe prediction for this weekend when you envision it in your mind how's this fight going to play out um you know i don't really do predictions too much um i'm going to finish the fight uh whatever opportunity presents itself first round uh, maybe I'll hope for it. If any, if you know, if it even goes past the second round, I I know that I've better conditioning. I have more heart. You know, I want it more. So um, anything past the second round, whatever. But you know, I'm I'm looking for a first round finish, uh, just like my last fight in uh, in Sioux Falls. So that's what I go out there to do every time. I go out there to destroy. Very nice. Well, you guys heard it here first. This was Capo Joe Gigliotti. He fights this Saturday versus Trevor Smith. Joe, we can't thank you enough for the time, and let's hope to catch up with you down the road after this first fight. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it, guys. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonti, and we are getting the chance to talk to Chase Sherman, who makes his UFC debut this Saturday versus Justin Ledette. Um, so, Chase, uh, let's... 
talk about uh, you getting the call from the UFC brass, first of all. So uh, where were you and what were you doing when you finally got the call from the big show? I was actually out in California um, for, for a friend of mine's wedding. We were out there just hanging out, and me and a bunch of the guys that were in the wedding were just chilling, playing video games, relaxing before the, uh, the wedding got started, and then I got the call from my manager. Awesome, awesome. So It was pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's always a, a pretty exciting call. Um, obviously, that must have made the wedding a little bit more fun. Um, so you well, got- yeah, it was it was cool. It was cool because uh, I'm sorry. It was cool because you know I was with a bunch of guys that I played football with and hadn't seen in years. You know what I mean? And because uh, we're all living in different parts of the country, and you know we were finally all together for the first time in like like four years, and uh, it was pretty cool getting to do that around them, get that announcement. Now, you mentioned you, you played football growing up. When did you make that switch to MMA, and what kind of initially drew you uh, to MMA as a sport? Well, I finished uh, when I finished playing college ball, I just kind of wanted to um, stay competitive. That was about four years ago, and I wanted to do something that was um, – I could, you know, still like, I just, I just kind of feared being an average person and going to work behind a desk and doing this, doing that, you know, I just want to kind of more out of life and I always enjoyed watching the sports. So I was like, hell, I'll just give it a try. And, and it kind of, it's worked out, you know, four years later, here we are. Yeah, it certainly has worked out. Um, nine first round finishes in your nine victories, 10 total fights. Uh, what is it about your style that, that allows you to get so many quick finishes? I really don't know, man. I, I just go out there and try to be as calm and relaxed as possible and just take my openings. I mean, if you watch some of my fights, you can kind of see I, I start off a little bit um, a little a, a slower, you know, I mean, more on the defensive and just making my reads. And I just strike when the, when the, when the iron side opportunity presents itself. Uh, a lot of these guys come out there and they just they don't want to be in that cage. They want to get out as quick as possible. And they'll, you know, they they and they go in there and just kind of, you know, swing for offenses or try to get a quick finish and this and that. And they just kind of leave themselves open for some uh, vulnerable attacks. And that's just normally how it's happened. I mean, I, I know it's crazy, not nine for nine, you know, <laughs> trying to make it ten for ten. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, you mentioned, you know, the type of fighter that comes out and is, uh, you know, maybe a little bit overhyped, especially, you know, in the UFC cage. Justin Ledette. Um, you know, a boxer who also, you know, starts pretty fast. Uh, what do you think about his style coming into uh, the UFC debut? I think he, I think it's stylistically, you know, styles make fights. Uh, stylistically, for me, I think it's a great matchup. Um, you know, I, I, I've seen a little bit of film on him. I think he's got, I think he's got really good boxing. You know, he's, he's 5-0 as a boxer, 6-0 in the man. I think he's got really good boxing. Um, I think that... Uh, kind of leans on that a little too much from what I've seen, uh, a little too traditional boxing. Um, he likes to let his hands go, and when you, when you let your hands go, you, you, you leave yourself vulnerable, you know what I mean? It's, it's good to have good boxing in MMA, but if you, if you just stick to that, just that boxing plan, you know, you to train the other three, four-punch combinations and trying to shoulder roll somebody, you know, there's, you, getting hit with a four-ounce glove is a lot different than getting hit with a, with a ten-ounce glove. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So you kind of leave yourself leave yourself open for that. But um, we'll see. You know, I just got to go out there and, and, and stick to the game plan. Just just be cool and relax and do what I do. Absolutely. Now, I, I've long said uh, that one of my favorite fight nicknames names is Uncle Creepy, of course, for Ian McCall, who we had on the show last week. Yeah. But I now think I have a new favorite fighter nickname, and it's the Vanilla Gorilla. Please tell us <laughs> who gave you that nickname, because it's just incredible. Oh, man, it was like we were going to my first pro fight, and I was like, man, I'll sit down with one of my boys. His name is uh, Greg, and we were just sitting down at the apartment. Where I was like, Greg, I was like, he's kind of a, a wise ass. I was like, I need a fight nickname, man. I need to think of something, you know. I don't want to be like douchey, have like a douchey fight nickname, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's all too serious and stuff like that. And within like a second of me saying it, he was like, the Vanilla Gorilla. I was like, what'd you say? <laughs> he said, the Vanilla Gorilla. And I was like, that's it. That's the one. That's what we're going with. 
Boom. It's marketable, man. It's funny. You know what I mean? It's not too serious. So it's just kind of right up my alley. I love it. Well, you guys heard it here first. This has been Chase Sherman, the Vanilla Gorilla, one of my new favorite fighter nicknames, if not my favorite. Uh, he fights Justin Ledette <laughs> this Saturday. Chase, thank you so much for the time, and best of luck in the fight. Appreciate it, man. Have a good one. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with Dave Tremonti, and we have the pleasure of interviewing uh, UFC debutant Justin Ledette. Justin Ledette makes his UFC debut at Ultimate Fight Lake Salt Lake City on August 6th. He'll be fighting Chase Sherman in the heavyweight division. So, uh, Justin, let's get right into it. So, uh, as I said before, you're making your UFC debut. Uh, what was it like when you got that call to come to the big show, and what was your reaction? Uh, it, it was uh, it was kind of surreal, you know. Uh, my reaction was just it kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, just we had been in talks for a while, but you know, never really got the go ahead or something, you know, to actually actually something set in stone. And I was actually kind of frustrated because we had been looking for fights, uh, you know, here recently, and just couldn't really find anything. And then one day I'm sitting complaining about can't find any fights, and then the next day. You know, we get this opportunity. I'm in the UFC. You know, so it was it was a crazy deal. That, that's pretty amazing. You should complain about not winning the lottery and see what happens the next day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now it's funny too because I mean six and zero. Oh, you know, very good record. But then your last fight ended with an accidental eye poke, uh, and then you get in the UFC. That's also very rare as well. Typically, you come right off a win and and get the call up to the big show. But uh, what, did that kind of factor into your thoughts of how how odd the timing was? No, nah, like I said, uh, we we had just been in talks. I mean, Joe Joe Till and those guys have always uh, uh, heard about me. Uh, Sucker Punch Entertainment uh, had uh, is my management company, and they had we had been talking over the years because I, I just signed with Sucker Punch uh, Management Company uh, a month ago, and they they're actually the ones that got me the opportunity. But uh, Sucker Punch has actually, I mean, been talking to me uh, since about 2011. So we've been in contact with each other. And, uh, you know, my name has always been floating around. I actually, uh, back in, it was 2013, uh, when I got the opportunity to get on the Ultimate Fighter back when, uh, BJ Penn and, uh, Frankie Edgar were the coaches. And I happened to miss weight going through some personal problems and didn't get a chance to actually fight, uh, to get into the house. So it, it, it's one of those things that it's always been right there, but really, you know, uh, crossed the threshold and finally the threshold got crossed finally. So. That's that's awesome, and and those guys at Sucker Punch definitely uh, have their pulse on the UFC for sure with with Shrew Hirota and uh, Hample. Um, quick question: So you had almost four years away from MMA. I know you did some boxing in there, but uh, what kind of led to that like long layoff, and what like brought you back to MMA after all of that? Um, it's, it's funny because I've been getting asked that a lot. You know, a lot of people ask like it's, it's a layoff. It really wasn't a layoff. I mean, just, uh, you know, your, your per- you got to get your personal life right. And then also, you know, uh, we just had trouble finding fighters to actually sign sign the dotted line to fight me. Uh, or maybe we just didn't have the right connections. I don't, I don't know which one it was, you know. Uh, but we, we couldn't seem to find any fighters. And, and uh, I was actually, uh, back in 2011, uh, got, uh, got injured training for a fight. Somebody hit me with a hip toss and... Uh, and uh, injured my PCL, so went through five five months of rehab with that. Uh, so during that time, wasn't able to grapple, but I was still able to box. So took that time to really focus on my boxing and uh, get a couple of boxing matches under my belt. Just just for uh, I, I I don't know, to me myself, I like striking more. I like the boxing uh, more. But you know, if you didn't have a huge amateur background, or if you didn't win the, win the Olympics or something, you know, you're not going to get a chance to really shine in that type of uh, sport. So uh, after all that, you know, got my life back in order, started working. Uh, I was working about 60, 65 hours a week, you know, so really couldn't train like I wanted to. So we kind of just stuck with the boxing and just let that be the catalyst for the situation. And uh, finally I got laid off in February uh, after all these oil prices dropped and uh, needed some money. So I was like, Hey, you know, let's get back in the cage. You know, let's, let's do whatever pays the bills, you know, at that point. Yep. And you, you mentioned in there that, you know, you prefer to stand and trade and you prefer to be a boxer, but you're also 6-0 and with four submission wins. What do you attribute that to? Uh, just just being an all-around fighter, you know. Uh, 
just just training hard and not letting you know one thing dictate uh, another. Uh, these guys, you know, uh, when we go into the fights, you know, we stand up. They they take a couple punches and they wouldn't like that, and then they go to take me down. But you know, I'm a well-rounded fighter. At the end of the day, uh, a lot of people. It, it, it's funny because like when I go to jujitsu gyms, I'm a boxer. But when I go to the you know the MMA gyms. Or like when I go to the boxing clubs, I'm just an MMA fighter. So I mean, just uh, it's just one of those things of you got to take when you're when you're a well-rounded fighter. Uh, uh, just because I like the striking and the boxing more doesn't mean I don't put just as much time into uh, you know my grappling and my jujitsu. Yeah, and, and so you mentioned that part of your jujitsu is because so many people take you down and you, you're working off your back. Is that something you worry about when fighting somebody like Chase Sherman, who does have a little bit of a wrestling background? Uh, not really, uh, because my fighting style, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go wherever the fight takes me, you know, uh, whether it be standing in the clinch against the cage or if they take me down. Uh, I just haven't really got to show any of my jiu-jitsu from the top game because I don't myself really like to take people down because that's just not my style. You know, I rather, I just feel like you don't do as much damage on the ground. So there's no point in me taking somebody down because I, I'm going to do all my damage on the feet. I'm going to do more damage on the feet. And so that's where I want to be, wherever I can apply the most damage. Uh, I don't really worry about wrestlers, whatever, because I know I train, you know, hard enough and in every scenario that I should be ready for anything that comes. And, and doing more damage on the feet is certainly true in the heavyweight division, which is, you know, stacked with heavy hitters. Um, you know, obviously you spe- used to spend a little bit of time at 205. Uh, what was the reason for the change up to heavyweight? And is there ever any thought that you might go back all the way down to 205? Uh, the, the thought behind uh, the heavyweight was just uh... – just my body has grown a little bit more than when I when I fought at 205. Like I said, back when I tried out for the Ultimate Fighter, I missed weight. Uh, but like I said before, I wasn't cutting correctly back then. You know, I wasn't cutting like a wrestler would. But I was cutting from 230, 235, and I still walk around there now, about 235, 240. Uh, so, you know, as you get older, you know, your body just kind of grows more. I mean, I was fighting at 205 when I was, you know, 20, 21, 22. Now I'm 27, so your body grows a little bit. It's harder to make that cut. But I feel as though, you know, whatever he wants me to do, you know, I feel as though I can still cut to 205 because I just have a better grasp on uh, nutrition and the whole cutting thing in general. So, and I live a healthier lifestyle than I did back then. So, but, you know, whatever. Uh, they called me for a heavyweight fight, so, you know, that's what we're going to do. Uh, it doesn't matter if they want me to go uh, to 205 after this. It doesn't matter what it, where, wherever they pay me, you know. That's, that's where <laughs> I, I'm looking for, you know. Uh, understood completely. Now, uh, Chase Sherman's making his debut as well. He's leaned heavily on his boxing his last few fights. Are you are you expecting a, a stand and trade, rock 'em sock 'em type of fight here in uh, heavy two heavyweights making their debut? Uh, I really wouldn't describe it as rock 'em sock 'em because uh, I just feel like I bring a different type of technique to uh, MMA. You know, with the boxing of actually head movement and uh, footwork that I feel like a lot of these heavyweights don't see from day to day. Uh, so I doubt it'd be a Rock'em Stock'em style, but it could be. But then again, you know, I don't like to expect things because I've expected that before, and I've gotten, <laughs> I've gotten disappointed. You know, everybody they they want to talk that that crap about. Oh, you know, I'll stand with you, I'll knock you out until they get in there, and then you know they they'll go for takedowns and stuff like that. So I've been true to my word this whole time. I don't I don't have a takedown attempt, much less an actual takedown on my on my record, but. You know, these other guys are a little bit different with that. So, I mean, it's all up to him and what he wants to do, you know. so. And you'll be ready for anything. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, well, you heard it here first. This has been Justin Ledette. He makes his debut against Chase Sherman, August 6th, Salt Lake City, Ultimate Fight Night. Uh, Justin, we can't thank you enough for the time, and let's definitely catch up down the road after this fight. Oh, yeah, thank you so much for the interview. All right, Gumby, so there you had it. Caught up with three fighters fighting this weekend. Uh, two, actually all three making their debut. Yeah, three three debut uh, guys, which is, is pretty unheard of for us. All right, so I'm going to put you in an awkward position here. We had both of them on the podcast this week. We're both a bunch of homers. We always just pick the person who is nice enough to give us time. But who you got between Chase Sherman and Justin Lede? 
both friends of the show. Oh, God, that, that's a tricky one, right? But uh, I'm going to go with Chase Sherman on this one. And, and the reason's actually kind of simple. Um, the, the long and the short of it is he's an actual heavyweight. You know, we talked about Ledette. He came back. He feels more comfortable at 230 pounds. But by all accounts, that's light heavyweight style in the UFC. You know what I mean? He could probably cut the 20, 25 pounds and wind up back down there. Chase Sherman is a legitimate 255, 260-pound guy with a lot of first-round finishes, and he hits like a truck. Um, he's also got that football background and a little bit of wrestling, which is, is going to lead him, I think, to beating the, the mainly boxer in Justin Ledette. So Justin Ledette you could get as a minus-150 favorite. Uh, Gumby likes Chase Sherman. He's a slight dog. You could get him at plus-125, high as plus-138 on some sports books. If I fail to mention it, uh, the fight card is on FS1, the main card, as are the prelims. Chase Sherman versus Justin Ledette, both making their UFC debuts, is on Fight Pass. The main event, so to speak, of the Fight Pass prelims is Cub Swanson taking on Tatsui Kawajira. Uh, awesome, awesome matchup. I'll give you the odds, and then we'll get Gumby's opinion. You can get Cub Swanson as the minus 400 favorite. Seems a little crazy. Uh, and Kawajiri, the plus 325 dog. Who you got? I, I agree that it seems kind of crazy. I am going with Cub Swanson on this one, but if you are looking for a nice thing to add to your parlay, even if it's just a fun parlay, Kawajiri's a hell of a wrestler. There is a chance he suffocates Cub Swanson. And for just grinds out. Yeah, it grinds out a decision. I'm going to go with Cub. I think he's going to get the knockout blow here, but but definitely closer than the odds say. All right, and we'll finish this rapid-fire style. The prelims on FS1, you have Court McGee. It's headlined by Court McGee, friend of the show, versus Dominic Steele. What do you think? I like Court McGee in this one. Dominic Steele has shown some kind of good wrestling. He had that cool slam knockout, but I'm going Court McGee all day. He's a minus 210 favorite. Dominic Steele, he get as a plus 170 dog. We move on to David Tamer versus Joseph Novelli. Jason Novelli, uh, newcomer out of Titan FC. I kind of like him here. Uh, he came off of a draw from a UFC vet. Uh, I'll go with Novelli. Uh, Novelli you can get as the plus 115 dog to Tamor, the minus 135 favorite. We move on. You have Victor Pesta versus Marcin Tibera at heavyweight. What do you think? I think Tibera is a killer for this division uh, at, at heavyweight. He, he had a rough uh, debut, but I, I think he's the real deal. So I think you're going to see him beat Pesta here. Uh, Marcin Tiburo, the minus 150 favorite. Victor Pesta, the plus 130 dog. And we round out this show with Teruto Ishihara versus Horatio Gutierrez. Uh, I dare you to tell us anything about Gutierrez. Uh, see, I don't know much about Gutierrez. Gutierrez, I know, is a Mexican prospect. He's 2-2 two and two in his career. Um, came off of a loss. Came off of one of those Latin American toughs. He has got, got a hell of a night ahead of him with Ishihara. Ishihara is my favorite Asian MMA prospect right now. Maybe more than, than Duhu Choi. That's crazy uh, talk. He has got some crazy knockout power for a 145-pounder. He trains at Alpha Male, so you know he's getting good training. Um, and he is hilarious on the mic. So uh, I, I fully expect Ishihara to land a, a killer knockout blow here. And then say something funny on the mic. Yeah, he is the at, least, at least through a translator. I know he speaks some English, but he usually works through the translator. Ishihara, the minus 240 favorite to Gutierrez, the debutant, uh, or is it debutante, uh, the plus 200 dog. This has been another great episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We can't thank our loyal listeners enough for getting us in their eardrums. We try to bring you nothing but straight MMA news and analysis. We don't talk about our hair. We don't talk about our day. <laughs> we just bring the MMA straight to your face, and we thank you for listening Catch us on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. Uh, email us at Gmail, Top Turtle MMA at gmail.com. We're accepting both love and hate mail. We will be back next week. Thank you so much. We are done. We'll catch you next week.